the initial attack on Biden was about Biden supporting, uh, opposing school busing in the 70s, federal support for that. And she said it was hurtful. And she had this almost like teary eyed, emotional moment. And then they came to her later and said, yeah, but aren't you against school busing too? And she said, oh, actually, yeah. I'm, I was, she attacked him for holding her own position. Welcome, everyone, to Random Assignment. I'm Bob Bowden from Choice Media, and that's Corey DeAngelis. If you are watching, you'll see him there, and if you're listening, you'll hear him. Hey, Corey. Hey, what's up, man? We have a pretty cool uh, background today. I forgot to start it. Should oh, you, yeah, that's right. That's I'm, right. Well, it'll be on I the... will attend class every day, or else my parents are going to jail. I will attend <laughs> class every day. I wanted to quickly say, first of all, thank you to our listeners and viewers. Our show is growing. We love it. If you're watching, please click like on wherever you're watching, whether it's YouTube or Twitter, and please subscribe to either the Twitter feed or the YouTube that uh, channel you're watching on. And if you're listening on on either iTunes or wherever else you're listening, please review us. And we kind of think you should review us well, by the way, and like that'd be great too. But please give us a review. So, and also please add a comment if you have a question or comment. These kind of things help. Uh, you know, it's free to you. We're doing this. For the public, but it also helps the algorithm treat us with more love. <laughs> so please comment, subscribe, and like. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you. So we had a VP so, pick yesterday. Unbelievable. From the Democratic Party ticket. What is your? Is before it? we even get, we have a tons of stuff about this. It's really, it's a really good show. But before we even just start, what was your initial reaction? And just as a political analyst, forgetting about like your what you want to happen or what you would prefer to happen, just in terms of how smart a pick this was for Biden. What was your take? Uh, I mean, yeah, I wasn't looking at the other candidates, but uh, you know, one of the big things in the public discourse right now is uh, the the left calling to defund the police or uh, at least reallocate um, the dollars that are going to the police to other uh, to, to other sectors, and then you know, he essentially picks the police person, Kamala Harris, uh, as his VP pick. So it seems so, like a, a bad pick on that point. I think so. No, hold on. Why wouldn't that make that a good pick? In other words, he if he's – oh, you're saying that he, he, could, he should have uh, placated the base more by being anti-police, whereas yeah, – maybe, Yeah, maybe he's – well, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it could be a good or a bad thing, actually, now that I think about it. But uh, I think that's the one that, thing, in my opinion, that's smart about the pick. But go ahead. What else are you going to say? That's about it. I mean, the other thing I was going to say that that that's obvious to us is that he picked a school choice hypocrite. I mean, a lot of people he could have picked w would probably be school choice hypocrites. But uh, Kamala attended a private pre-K, and we don't know about the rest of her years. But we know she attended a private pre-K and sent her stepchildren to private schools in California. Yet right. uh, opposes private school choice initiatives, just like Biden. So I guess they're two peas in a pod when it comes to school choice hypocrisy. <laughs> With the uh, the EFI map, we'll get uh, get going on that. Well, um, th there's by the way, everyone, there's a school choice hypocrisy map on the Educational Freedom Institute website, right? Uh, Corey, what's the uh, URL for yep. that? EFInstitute.org. If you just type into Google school choice hypocrisy map, you'll right. find it, and I'll bring it up really right. quickly as what you I, get well, And while you do that, what I was going to say quickly is, I was just going to say that. Um, in my opinion, Susan Rice would have been the smarter choice. I think that she, uh, you look at why Kamala Harris had a spike upward after that one debate when she attacked Biden and then crashed in the polls herself. Like, And so to my friends who I have one friend who loves Kamala, Kamala Harris, thinks she's the greatest person ever. And I said, oh, really? So why do you think Kamala Harris collapsed in the polls of Democrats in the primaries after that first few days of of higher polling, and my friend didn't have an answer. She's like, I don't know, misogyny? They thought a woman? I was like, come on, this is the Democrat primary voters. I don't think they would have suddenly loved her and then suddenly remembered they were all misogynists and stopped loving her. I think what it was is the initial, it's education related, the initial attack on Biden was about Biden supporting, uh, 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 opposing school busing in the 70s, mm -hmm. federal support for that. And she said it was hurtful. And she had this almost like teary eyed, emotional moment. And then they came to her later and said, yeah, but aren't you against school busing too? And she's like, oh, actually, yeah. I'm. Was, she attacked him for holding her own position. And it was just, it was this 
complete kabuki theater of a fake policy attack that had nothing to do with reality at all. It was just, hey, here's a way I can kind of spin a yarn to make him look bad. And that, and that immediately then collapsed her support. Then in a subsequent debate, of course, Tulsi Gabbard attacked her for saying she smoked marijuana and laughing about it in the Breakfast Club uh, radio show while separately putting so many uh, people in jail for marijuana convictions as Attorney General of California. But it was all it was also funny that she smoked. But then there's other stuff where she like claimed to be listening to Tupac, you know, in college years before Tupac's first album ever came out and stuff like that. So things started to add up of her from her that seemed disingenuous. And so to me, Susan Rice came off what would have been a much more uh, uh, would have been a stronger pick for Biden, in my opinion. Uh, then, but I think there's always this risk of someone that's it's not ever run before may not be vetted enough, and who knows what the unknowns are of someone who's not run before. At least Kamala Harris has run in elections, both uh, statewide and for and for president. So anyway, so that said, but there's a big ex education connection beyond just the school busing thing, which is her whole truancy initiative. That as when she was uh, attorney general of California. She decided it would be a good idea to put parents in jail, at least threaten, threaten parents with jail and actually put some parents in jail if their kids didn't go to school, I guess, a certain number of days in a period of time. And, and then we so then we tweeted today, Choice Media did. There's an old video, 10 year old video of her explaining that and laughing about it. That's very controversial. Kamala Harris talking 10 years ago about why she wanted to prosecute parents for truancy. Yes, let's uh, check that video. out. And I want to point out that uh, it was an epic takedown from Tulsi Gabbard. Gabbard? Gabbard, yeah. Uh, uh, of Kamala Harris at that debate. So uh, everybody should go check out that video clip. But here's the uh, statement on truancy from Kamala Harris. I would not be standing here were it not for the education I received. And I know men of, many of us will say the same thing. And I believe a child going without an education is tantamount to a crime. So I decided I was going to start prosecuting parents for truancy. Well, this was a little controversial in San Francisco. <laughs> And frankly, my staff went bananas. They were very concerned because we didn't know at the time whether I was going to have an opponent in my re-election race. But I said, look, I'm done. This is a serious issue, and I've got a little political capital, and I'm going to spend some of it. And this is what we did. We recognized that in that initiative, as a prosecutor in law enforcement, I have a huge stick. The school district has got a carrot. Let's work in tandem around our collective objective and goal, which is to get those kids in school. So to that end, on my letterhead, now let me tell you something about my letterhead. When you're the DA of a major city in this country, usually the job comes with a badge. And there is often an artistic rendering of said badge on your stationery. So I sent a letter out on my letterhead to every parent in the school district, outlining the connection that was statistically proven between elementary school truancy, high school dropouts, who will become a victim of crime, and who will become a perpetrator of crime. We sent it out to everyone. A friend of mine actually called me and he said, Kamala, my wife got the letter. She freaked out. She brought all the kids into the living room, held up the letter, said, if you don't go to school, Kamala's gonna put you and me in jail. Yes, we achieved intended effect. Okay, so this will divide some conservatives. Some law and order type conservatives will say, oh, that's a good thing, Kamala Harris, you did that. You should enforce truancy laws. There are other school choice conservatives that would say, why are you uh, doing this? You're using the jails. Shouldn't the jails be for violent criminals, not parents who might even just be homeschooling the kids? The kid might be sick. There's a million examples. In fact, some of the media found some of the, of the parents whose kids had just been sick a lot. And some of those parents actually got taken into the police station and arrested after the kid was just sick. And so, uh, and so this issue divide isn't a part, it doesn't line up along, along party lines. But what we found is a lot of liberals, a lot of people uh, who were Democrats and a lot of uh, African-American Democrats weren't too happy about 
finding this, in other words, when then nine years later she's running for president, she now is courting the black vote as in the in the in the primaries. And this clip comes out, and a lot of people back then weren't so cool with this. We're gonna arrest people because it turned out to be mostly people of color that had been arrested for these truancy uh, charges by Kamala Harris, proudly she was doing this. And so uh, there was a lot of pushback. We found it in, for example, a Roland Martin show, who's a, a school choice supporter, by the way, who's an African-American YouTuber. Uh, but in addition, there's um, we found the Young Turks. The Young Turks is a liberal talk show online. And after MSNBC held a Kamala Harris town hall meeting, big town hall meeting, the issue of truancy came up. And we've been going to play you her comments again. You just heard from her a second ago, Kamala Harris, on, on the reasons for truancy convictions or pursuing those uh, truancy charges. But then I just wanted to show you guys what liberals on the Young Turks panel said about that position, Kamala's position on truancy. I mean, I don't know, we could go over and over and over about like her issues with that. But yeah, like I don't like the framing that answer. And we kind of get a slightly different answer every time I yeah. wish people stop asking her. But I do not like framing that answer as, hey, I was helping these poor black kids. I was helping them better themselves because we have got to figure out a better way to help black people than putting them in jail. I would have rather you yes. spent that money buying a bunch of bodyguards to roll around in SUVs and just pick these kids up. Come on, you are going to school every morning, six o'clock in the morning. They're rolling around like <laughs> high school coaches do, picking up their kids. Mm -hmm. Then putting parents in jail because we do that already. There's a pipeline. We're good on that. Yeah. We're good on putting black people in prison. I like Brooke's SUV strategy much better. Because yeah. high school coaches do that, you know, like they have yeah. parents who are working, right. they get their kids. Yeah. And, and I wish, sorry, one, one more thing. I, I wish somebody would uh, acknowledge for the first time in politics, look, there's upsides and downsides to any action. And I, and, you know, and I was, and I was really worried about the downside because the downside is we're punishing folks who are not in great shape here. Mm -hmm. But I was doing it for the upside, and here's the upside of it. It's a more human answer. It gives you a mm -hmm. sense of that there was a little bit of anguish over it, and she's not positive that it was the right way to go. But hey, look, it did get these good results. But no, consultants tell you, tell you all, all the wonderful things you did, never admit any of the th downsides. Yeah, just, I'm waiting on one politician to say, my bad. I'm just waiting on one to say, yeah. my well, bad. Well, look, on the 94 crime bill, you got a, a bunch, right? Oh, yeah. I know, it's so unforgivable. Yeah. I can't Except Biden. But, but even, even Bill Clinton said, my bad to the 94 mm -hmm. crime bill. I agree with you though, Brooke. And I think that the belief that black people should be punished more harshly, that, that black people, and, and, and I dare to say black people. I'm not afraid to say who is always- That's who that, that was about. That right. was the focus of that. Yeah. The, the racism towards that, that was the focus of that. And I don't care. I am mad at all of them, Absolutely. every single one of them forever. Because I don't care. I don't care if there is a part in that who helped women. Because what about when you happen to be a woman and you're black? Yeah, no, no, no. And what about people who look like me? She said, I'm mad at all of them forever, by the way. And how did you like the fact that, that they're like, why can't any uh, politician ever say uh, my bad? And, and, and then Jank and then Uger comes in and says, well, some have apologized for the 94 crime bill, but not Biden. But not <laughs> so Biden, you yeah. Have, you have liberals criticizing both Harris and Biden in the same clip from, from 2019. 2019, so, right? Yeah, so well, go ahead, Corey, your, your thoughts on this truancy thing. And yeah, I mean, the whole uh, punishing parents for, you know, truancy, uh, you're right. I mean, like, w what is causing all the truancy? I think that's the more important question. Um, and, you know, that type of rule that, you know, just sending sending families to jail for, for, for the truancy infractions assumes that all the problems uh, have, have to do with the family unit and not the school system. I think the more inherent problem is, Children don't want to go to the particular school because the school is boring and not uh, keeping them interested. And I think a more um, a, a better solution would obviously be school choice. You pick a school that you're interested in. Uh, but then also, yeah, why not fix the public school that the child doesn't want to go to? Oh, with uh, more maybe, money? Maybe is that how you fix it? Do you give uh, it more I, money? No, I think I think school. You know, the school choice is the best way to fix it. Throwing more money at the problem is not going to do that. But uh, I think the school should look internally as to why students don't want to attend them. Maybe there's a bullying problem. Maybe there's yes. um, you know, all these other issues that are happening at school that, and, and, and maybe that's why the, 
the students don't want to return to maybe it's a special need that's not being addressed and the kid feels ignored and making no progress and embarrassed for that maybe it's a bullying issue like you said uh, maybe it's an issue where they're just bored. They're just bored, uh, you know. Maybe there's something else. There's something else that maybe the parents don't even know. Maybe it's a thing where, uh, who even knows? So maybe there's a drug issue uh, of either the child or the parent. There's all kinds of possible things. But to me, this is, uh, well, it was just really, it was a real interesting development because, because, you know, we talk about education on this show. And you have a, you know, this is the first time you have a major party candidate with such a clear, clearly defined educational historical policy background, you know, where like they've done something really different than pretty much everybody else that's been a presidential candidate on the subject. But yeah, to send parents to jail over truancy seems kind of weird, um, you know. And I asked you before, like, what if you want to homeschool? What is the what is the truancy homeschool nexus exactly? Because well, I mean, that, then the state, you know, uh, tries to come in and say, oh, well, you're not providing an adequate education through homeschooling, or I don't know. Yeah, is it? it I guess is it only a problem if you're enrolled in the public school? Um, but it, uh, the moment you unenroll in the, from the public school and you say that you're homeschooling, is it all of a sudden okay? It's, it, I don't know. I don't know the specifics of those rules, but it seems. Uh, I'm, I'm sure different well, states differ. I know that. I just don't know how many states. Uh, and you mentioned before our HSLDA friends might be able to kind of uh, give insight on, on the total count of how many states require paperwork for homeschooling that's kind of filing with the state versus just telling the local school district or something. I think yeah. there are different ways that. You and know, I'm always concerned about these kinds of rules and who they're going to adversely affect, which the young turts. Uh, pointed out pretty clearly that disadvantaged populations may be more likely to get the brunt of, of uh, law enforcement uh, unfairly uh, enforcing this law. Uh, and, and so um, I think that's another issue that just uh, adds on to the problem. And I actually ended up uh, coming up with the school choice hypocrisy map for everybody uh, oh. that we mentioned earlier. Education. No, there's some states with, with hypocrites. Um, but uh, yeah, there's oh, which are uh, the hypocrite uh, states, the, 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 the blue ones, these ones, okay, like okay. Texas and Florida. Um, okay. So, so Calif California is Kamala Harris in the California. She's not in there yet. Um, oh, okay. She uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi is. <laughs> so okay, uh, all right. definitely a work in progress, for, but, but yeah, go ahead and check it out at the educational freedom Institute uh, website. Uh, but I want, we should also shift a little bit and talk about uh, these surges that, have, have, that we've been seeing all throughout the last few months, but even more so most recently, I actually did a recent Google Trends search. So if you go into a web, if you type in Google Trends on Google, you can look in, look at you know any type of uh, keyword over time, and they'll tell you the public interest in that keyword over time okay. uh, after making adjustments. And it turns out that uh, July of this year, and August is pretty close, is the peak period of interest for the term homeschooling. So that's, you know, that's not a perfect uh, way to measure this, but it is a oh, good I proxy see. that suggests that people are uh, uh, much more likely within the past five years, at least, uh, much more likely to spike and, and search for things related to homeschooling. So families are seeking out these options. We've seen it with the pandemic pods. We're seeing more evidence here with the Google Trends. And then well, we're 100 meaning that the peak is happening right now yeah, what, and every, all the other numbers in the yeah, chart are a percentage yeah. of how many searches are happening now. Yep. So 50 is like half as popular, half as interest, uh, 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 public right. interest in the term in, in the other years. 100 is the maximum. Uh, so it's all relative to the maximum. And the yeah. maximum just so happened to be uh, July of, of 2020 and August dipped a little bit, but it's it's pretty close to the 100%. So people are super interested in homeschooling now. And it's not just uh, websites, it's actual homeschool filings, which uh, I've been sharing as well. In Maricopa County, uh, uh, Arizona, the uh, Arizona Republic just reported on this. They actually got um, publicly available information from the Maricopa County Superintendent's Office and from the 
from uh, July 2019 to July 2020, there has actually been a 229% increase in homeschool filings in Maricopa County in Arizona. Uh, and I just want to be clear, this is homeschool filings. It's not total number of homeschoolers. So it's not like, you know, we, it's not like they went from, you know, 20,000 homeschoolers to 60,000 homeschoolers. It's new filings in July of 2020 relative to July 2019. So all you got to do is shut down all the yeah, public yeah. schools and surprise, surprise, you get a boost. In oh, homeschool. that's what's happening here. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, I think that's what's happening, right? That the families are seeing that the public schools are they're just not reopening in person. They're doing the online thing and families are saying, well, if they're doing it online and we're doing it at home, why not take the leap of faith, right? And just do pure homeschooling. And so I tweeted about it here, homeschool filings up. 229% from the same time last year in Maricopa County, Arizona. And this isn't the only place. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast where Nebraska saw a 21% increase in homeschool filings. But then also Vermont, the entire state of Vermont just recently uh, reported a 75% increase in homeschool filings from the same time last year. And that can be found here at Vermont Digger, um, D-I-G-G-E-R, as schools announced uh, reopening plans, many parents opt to homeschooling. So this is where I found those numbers. But yeah, we're seeing this in several different states and this is just the most recent data, but it's not just people enrolling their kids in filing for homeschooling. We're also seeing uh, increases in homeschool favorability. So EdChoice has been doing nationally representative surveys on this since March, every single month, March, April, May, June, July. And as uh, people can see viewing on my screen right now, uh, in July, there's been a very significant uh, increase in homeschool favorability. So each month, you know, families- Jumped 18 points in one month. Yeah, yeah I mean, this is just for much more favorable, went from 25% around 25 to 26% in April, March, April, May, June. And then it jumped all the way to 43% saying that they have a much more favorable view of homeschooling uh, as a result of COVID-19 and their you know, experiences with homeschooling. And I think this July jump uh, could also be just, you know, also families seeing, you know, homeschooling looks much better now, especially given the alternative of the public schools not reopening in person. Um, so we're, we're seeing favorability, and and I, I just want to want to um, point out that in March, April, the the COVID nineteen survey by EdChoice, if you added the favorable, the much more favorable, and the somewhat more favorable, that was still about fifty two percent much you know more favorable to much more favorable relative to twenty six percent saying somewhat less favorable versus uh, you know very very much less favorable. So. Each I mean, month, even that, though, and I think that actually that actually diminishes potentially. I mean, what uh, because just it's it's sort of like it's kind of like the the slope that they're measuring. You know, it's the first derivative. They're kind of saying more favorable. Like in other words, the parents that already completely love homeschooling are taken out of that because they're not more favorable. They already completely love it. So yeah, they've you know, already loved it. That's yeah, true. and. Um, yeah, I mean, I just want to point out because these 26, 20, 25, 26 people might think, oh, well, people weren't liking homeschooling. But if you added up all of the favorable versus unfavorable or more versus less, every single month, the more was significantly higher than the less, even if you if broke it out, broke it out by month. But July is just a huge anomaly in their data where it's much, much higher. And I don't know, it could be of what, what families are seeing with the unions protesting and all, uh, you know, trying not to reopen with the what we reported last week with the uh, unions sending uh, letters to their members uh, to send letters to the governor to make fake uh, uh, obituaries and epitaphs. We saw this in Arizona and Wisconsin and, and elsewhere. Tombstones, bag, yeah. body bags, pop yeah. all of that. So that could be part of it, but it also could just be out of necessity, right? Families are saying homeschool seems like a really good idea now because the public schools aren't opening. So um, actually, yeah, homeschooling is a really good idea. And so much so that our friend Inez Felcher-Stutman wrote about this. She wrote this great piece. Go ahead, Corey. Yep. So Inez uh, Felcher-Stutman, she's affiliated with the Independent Women's Forum. She actually wrote this piece called "Get Your Kids Out of Public School." <laughs> pretty clear, main... pretty clear headline, right? Like, huh? Not a lot of ambiguity in that title. 
And the, the main cover image, and I shared this, is a uh, the, the body bag protest that was happening in the D.C. Uh, in, in, in D.C., the, uh, there was fake body bags outside of the D.C. public school offices to protest reopening the schools. So more morbid protests there. But uh, her, her, uh, her sub-headline is, this is the right's greatest opportunity in decades. Will we take it? And what I tweeted, the quote that I tweeted out of here was something along the lines of, um, uh, you know, this could be the first time in history. Uh, it's not letting me uh, oh, scroll down. Uh, I wonder if I have to pay for this. But well, yeah, there you are. No, now you got it. The first time in modern history, it's not showing up, that, uh, that there might be a mass exodus from public schools. And it, sure. it was in here somewhere, but that's essentially one of her main points. And she points out the, the, the shenanigans happening from the unions not wanting to, to return to work and to reopen the schools and to, you know, calling for, uh, you know, defunding the police and police-free schools and getting rid of standardized testing and calling to ban new charter schools and private school choice programs. She goes over all of these arguments um, and says, yeah, this, is, this could be one of the ways uh, that that families really see alternatives to the school system. And we're already seeing it, right? I just went over all the data of homeschool favorability going up, homeschool filings going up, um, families unenrolling from public schools. You look at Montgomery County Public Schools in, uh, in, in uh, Maryland, they were reporting that they only had 300 new enrollees this year when they were expecting 2,500 new uh, enrollees in their school system. So there's a lot of data and th these aren't perfect data, but a lot of data are suggesting that families are, are, are looking for other options and they're not enrolling their kids in the public school system, which could be a way to um, kind of, and this is another way to incentivize the public school system to listen to families because public schools get money based on the enrollment that they get in their schools. And yeah. so I think this is the thrust of her essay. Any other takeaways on, on your end, Bob? Yeah. So so Inez is a great writer, by the way. I said previously on the podcast, you know, she figured out my card trick, which I resented her for, you know, when I had my card trick. In fact, Inez, if you're watching right now, I resent you for figuring out my card trick. But she's such a great writer. This was my favorite part of that piece. She talks about unions overplaying their hand. She said in Los Angeles, they demanded a moratorium be placed on charter schools and police departments be defunded before schools could open. In legislatures across the country, unions lobbied to restrict families from switching to already operating virtual charter schools, accustomed to providing online instruction. A coalition of 10 teachers unions and the Democratic Socialists of America put together a list of political demands for reopening that including ban that included banning private school choice and police in schools. So anyway, she goes on about how unions were part of the problem, but other things too. So uh, yeah, it's a, it, was a, it was a great big giant piece today in the- And, uh, I, and I think she also mentioned um, just the failure of remote learning that we saw um, uh, in the spring where, you know, the Center for Reinventing Public Education put out the report that we talked about on a different episode that only one in every three school districts that they examined actually required uh, the teachers to provide online instruction each day. And right. less than half of the school districts even required these schools to, uh, the teachers to take attendance on a regular basis. So, right. Yeah, we and have more also, stories like that, by the way, in New York City later in the show. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. So let's move on, though. We're already halfway through our time. Time's flying. Uh -oh. right. uh, this is kind of good news, though, from Nevada, which I, I used to say Nevada, and I say people say no. You're supposed to say Nevada. Uh, North Las Vegas, okay, they're offering an alternative if your parents or parents are worried about uh, the virus. Well, what's happening is another option. With Clark County School District moving classes exclusively online in reaction to the pandemic, many families with technology limitations or parents unable to help their children successfully learn remotely, the city's teaming with a micro school provider for an in-person option for the fall semester. Now, you know, when we did our Prenda video last year, Choice Media released a story about the Prenda micro school in Arizona. We actually showed that there's an Arizona school doing that, an actual traditional public school partnering with this Prenda micro school on a, in a room on their campus where it was just different from the whole rest of the school experience. 
for certain kinds of kids that needed that small group setting. Well, this apparently is kind of being writ larger by this district in North Las Vegas, which uh, sounds great. I mean, I don't know this, you know, everyone's, I think, pretty happy about it. The one thing I think that might occur to people is they might eventually say, wow, uh, you know, we're still spending as much per kid with the regular school district doing the micro school teaming up thing. I think I'm just assuming that's the way it's going to be. You know, boy, uh, it'd be a lot cheaper if we just kind of did it organically without having the big cost of the regular district. But anyway, the program costs $2 a day, I guess, for parents. So that's over above and on top of what they're already paying their taxes for, for education. For school. They're not providing but, a free public education. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, I guess $2 a day, it's hard to make too big a yeah, deal. Yeah, it's not a big deal. But um, anyway, so that's happening in, in Las Vegas, and that's pretty cool. Well, yeah, it's great that the public schools, at least in some areas, are responding to the needs of families. And I think more school districts should do this. And um, yeah, I mean, if, if they have significant amounts of money that people are already paying for their property taxes, I think they should be able to provide this for free uh, if they're willing to cut some costs in other areas. But uh, from what in fact, we know- In fact, our friend Mark LeBlond of the Commonwealth Foundation picked that story for today's Choice Media ah. story of the day. If you guys want to check out our Twitter or Instagram, you'll see uh, Mark talk about this Las Vegas story. Which we don't have uh, loaded up, do we? We don't have it loaded up, but people can find it. Yeah. It's, uh, okay. I just want to make sure I didn't. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm just, yeah, I'm just throwing it in. Just throwing it in. Cool. So uh, we should look at some new data that people have kind of been theorizing about that hasn't come out until Brookings released this report on school reopening plans. And this was done by John Vallant. I think he's a fellow affiliated with the Brookings Institution. And here's the headline, school reopening plans plans linked to politics rather than public health. No, they should yeah. say comma and gambling in Casablanca. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, been, I'm, I'm interrupting. People go ahead. have been theorizing this, but there wasn't actually data you know, behind the claim about, hey, this is about politics, this isn't about safety. And so what John Vallant did, and I'll show you just the data that he put together, he put together uh, voting uh, records from the 2016 election. And so he put, uh, you know, he correlated the voting, the voter share of Trump voters in the county with districts school reopening plans to go online only. So essentially to not reopen in person. And uh, the, these data are provided uh, uh, the, the school reopening plans are starting to be provided by Education Week. They've already provided up to 460 different school districts uh, in one place. So I recommend going and checking out those data. But he correlated with that with the percent of Trump voters in the county from 2016 elections. And he found that the more Trump voters that were in the county, the lower the likelihood of uh, or the higher re likelihood of the of reopening online only uh, start at least starting in the fall this year. And so what's interesting here is, is that, and then he also found that there was no correlation between cases per capita in the county, uh, and that was not associated or statistically significantly associated with uh, the reopening plans of the district. So it didn't have much to do with the, uh, the risk of COVID-19 from in, the, in July, uh, as far as cases per capita were concerned, but it did have a lot to do with the politics of the people in, uh, the, that, that were living in the area. And so you can spin this two ways. Brookings spin, spun this one way, and Brookings is a left-leaning institution. And so John Vallant went through this, and I think it's great work that he did this, but he only, I think, provided one theory for why this could be, and essentially, the story from the left has been, oh, those darn Trump voters, you know, Trump, they're just, uh, you know, the districts are just listening to what Trump wants. And because of that, they're, they're not listening to the, the needs of children and the safety. And they're all just listening to what the uh, what Trump is saying. And so they're putting children's lives at risks at risk. Um, uh, and, and just listening to Trump, whereas the other side, people from the conservative standpoint have been saying, you know, look, the school districts are are just listening to the unions. They're just listening to politics. And so places with lower you know, amounts of Trump voters could be more likely to be unionized and influenced by special interest. 
and they're not reopening in person uh, because they don't like Trump or because they don't want to have to provide those in-person services. So, so one side is a puppet of Trump. The other side is a puppet of the unions. And you can yeah. kind of say, well, that's a wash in the analysis or something. Right. Or, um, yeah, even even without unions in, in consideration, the other side, you know, the conservative side can say, oh, look, they're just not reopening because they just want to do the opposite of what Trump is saying. So you can spin okay. it either way. But let me ask, uh, let me ask you something. So, so I just sent you a link on our fa on a little Facebook thing. Can you bring up, I just, right now, I just sent you a link. I would like you to try to bring up the link that Check I just out. sent. Because, I, because this is what I thought when I saw that. And you you looked into it deeper, more deeply than I. And so I just wanted to show this and then ask you a question about it. Okay, I'm pulling it up real quick, adding it to the... What this is, is it's a breakdown. There it is. This is COVID-19 death rates per capita by state. And what I notice when I look at this is just look at the states that are the highest. Now, by the way, just through, through some sort of my own personal quirkiness, New York and New Jersey have actually 30% of America's COVID deaths. If you did not have just those two states in America, they only have 8.7% of US population, but they have 30% of COVID deaths. If you remove those two states, you, the US would be far lower on the international rankings. But I just bring this up to, to, to show you guys what I noticed about the politics of it. Go back to the top. Now tell me like which are the, are the you know, the. The blue states here, New Jersey, New York is number two, Massachusetts is number three in per capita COVID deaths, Connecticut is number four, Rhode Island is number five. You've got to get to Louisiana. I think that's a swing state. But anyway, after that, District of Columbia, Mississippi, Michigan, Illinois, et cetera. But the point is the top five states are all pretty much blue states as I see it. So, so you, what you're saying is, is that Brookings teased out the degree to which the virus was infecting, they have actually controlled for that. And they said, independent of the viral le transmission level, your politics is still determining your views on school reopening. Is that what you said they did? Yeah, they controlled and, well, for the virus? With, with this um, particular graph that they showed, this was just simple, no controls. But John Ballant, says in this piece that these results and the story that he's telling remain significant for the Trump share after controlling for a whole bunch of characteristics. Because I, I didn't see it what. on the chart, so I was confused. Yeah, he doesn't say what he, and I wish he would, you know, just, and I looked for this, I didn't see it, but I, I wish he would have showed all of his regression results with, you know, um, here's what happens when you control for this. Here's what happens when you he can show all of that. But right. I, I trust him. I think he's a very trustworthy guy. Right. Um, and he, you know, it might just be a, a time constraint yeah. thing. He hasn't put it up yet. Uh, right. But I trust, I trust that it, it held. But I'm curious to know to the degree to which it's correlated. Like the, 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 it may be less correlated once you control for the disease or, or I don't know. All I'm trying to say is it turns out a lot of people don't know this. A lot of people don't know this folks. I'll beat on the uh, desk. Like Khrushchev with a shoe. Turns out the most COVID deaths are in blue states, everybody. Shh. Don't tell everybody it's a secret. But we just showed you the most COVID deaths are in blue states. And, you know, two states have 30%. So anyway, all right. I just wanted to add that. I, I want to point out, actually, maybe, wait, I'll, I'll sit on. I'm going to sit on. You know what I'm what I, Yeah, what yeah, I'm I know. About, I know. I'm going to sit on the we'll have a major, major new announcement in a forthcoming random yeah, assignment program. Just, just wait. It's going to be great. Gonna, <laughs> All um, right. Well, let's talk about something completely out of the blue. And I don't even know what you guys are going to think about this. I don't even know what Corey's going to think about it. It's kind of a fun story in, in a way. It's also, I think, to some, it's shocking. But D.C. has announced a brand new charter school. Oh, that's it. You're going to the wrong thing. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. But go to the video first. The video first. D.C. has announced a brand new charter school, which is called the Social Justice Charter School. Okay. So we have a video that sets it up. Let's check it Washington, out and make sure, make sure I play the right video. <laughs> uh, so, oh, yes, yes. The Social Justice School opens in the district this fall. The public charter middle school hopes to teach children how to tackle issues like racism and inequality. News Force Amy Cho shows us how they'll teach kids to create change. We're probably going to skip past all of this. Nasir Cornish can do a lot of things. He loves to read Shakespeare, is a pro at riding his bike, and his skateboard, too. Soon he can also add, be a founding member of a new middle school. 
I'm just like really excited to be um, working on topics that have to do with activism. This fall, Nasir will start at the Social Justice School in Fort Taunton. Students will tackle issues like inequality, mass incarceration, and discrimination. This school gives an explaining of things that are going on in the world. School should be um, influenced by deeper learning. School founder Myron Long. We don't teach students what to think. We teach them how to think. Long has been planning the school for years now. In 2018, he held a summer camp as a pilot program, taking students to Selma, Alabama, to walk in the footsteps of John Lewis. Long says the goal of his school, creating the next generation of leaders. And we unapologetically believe that young people can and will change the world. All they need are the tools and the time. Some of those tools include a lab where students can make podcasts and films on social issues. Students will also do community service projects and take more field trips once it's safe. This year's mom, school. Maya. You know, making sure that he is having those conversations both in school and at home is critically important um, and being encouraged to be a change agent I think is necessary. The school has about 50 students signed up so far. They'll start off online due to COVID, but Nasir says he's just excited to start learning. We get a lot of slack, you know, for being children. People don't think we can do things that adults do, such as activism. He plans to prove he can. Amy Cho, News 4. Okay, so a couple of questions I have for you, Corey. I, I, I just kind of think I think, what does Corey think is he going to say about this? So, for one thing, I want to talk to this Mr. Long, this principal. He sounds like he could be an interesting guy. I would really like to hear more from him. My, some of my questions would be Is it going to be unionized? Does this charter school, you know, believe in unionizing uh, because that's part of social justice to him? Oh, and also, what what are his thoughts on the, the school choice siphoning money away from traditional public schools? Does that hurt social justice when a, a charter school siphons money away from from public traditional public schools? I use you know air quotes here. Uh, and also, then I'm wondering about something like we all saw with the Smithsonian Institution had definitions of white culture that came out, and that's the graphic that we showed. But it it had some things in there that a lot of uh, people thought was pretty unusual and crazy saying that white culture, part of white culture, according to this Smithsonian Institution document, white culture includes, quote, hard work is the key to success, unquote. Is he going to teach his children at that school that hard work is the key to success is part of white culture? Is he, uh, another thing that the Smithsonian document said is, uh, following rigid time schedule. That's somehow part of white culture, like being on time. Is he going to tell his charter school students who are social justice, you know, uh, mentees? Uh, is he going to tell them that being on time is optional unless you want to be part of white culture? Anyway, so you, you guys get it. It's uh, some of these are, are, are rhetorical questions uh, for now anyway, but uh, what did, so Corey, like, but we believe in choice, school choice. We believe in not pick, you know, if you, if you want to believe in, some sort of crazy, something that you and I would think might be crazy, but a parent thinks it's a good educational model. Go ahead, more power to them. So there's that part of it too. What, what, how do you react? Yeah, I think it's great that there's a specialized option being available in the public charter school sphere. Um, and yeah, it doesn't matter what that model looks like. And you know, if it's, if it's going to be a social justice school, that's great because families aren't forced to send their children there. You don't, you're not residentially assigned to this uh, particular DC charter school. You can choose uh, to opt into that school. So I think it's a great idea that families can have this as an option. Right. And that's the difference, right? And we bring this all up all the time when we bring up, you know, um, you know, uh, quote unquote, political indoctrination in the traditional public schools. And it's a completely different discussion because there's a lot of families that did not choose the traditional public school. And if they feel like their their children are being politically indoctrinated in most systems, if you don't have a charter school option or a private school choice mechanism, you're stuck there. You're stuck paying for it. You're stuck sending your child to that environment. But with the charter school, you opt into it. So it's a completely different. Uh, and, and let me just quickly add, I've been kind of snarky about, are they going to tell the kids being on time is white? Are they going to tell the kids, you know, uh, you know, is it going to be like, 
non, you know, they're going to welcome the union in it to end a strike, uh, you know, every year or something because that's more social justice. Like, I'm being snarky about that. This school could be great. It actually could be a, a godsend for certain kids who are escaping the traditional public schools. So I, I want to say that clearly, too. I'm being I'm having a little fun with it, but it also could be great. So I want to hear more about it. Yes, yeah, same here. And again, um, choice is key. Even if you, uh, even if, if you, I disagree and you disagree, somebody with, choice, you know, with right. the particular model. Hey, other people should have, should have that. It's option. like free speech. It's like you yeah. defend their right to say something stupid. If they want to say someone, someone wants to say something stupid, that's free speech says I defend that right. So should we get into, um, forms of uh, evidence so speaking of, indoctr of indoctrination you just mentioned indoctrination in traditional public schools and I want to first start out with what I tweeted about the other day and the tweet has been set to private um, this is an educator in the Philadelphia school system and uh, there was a lot of pushback to this uh, from uh, from all over social media but here's here's the tweet thread. Essentially, uh, you know, the takeaway here is that, and a lot of people can't see this, I understand, but essentially he, uh, you know, it's calling out that it could be an issue with remote learning because families, uh, parents might be able to hear what they're saying to the teachers are saying to the children and the families might have issue with what's being said. And he specifically calls out conservative parents and he says, look, conservatives are my chief concern. He also says that others, you know, people on the left could be concerning his too, but he's saying, look, we're in get engaged in this messy work of destabilizing a kid's racism or homophobia or transphobia. He asks, how much do we want their classmates' parents piling on? So, how, Meaning, how much do we want parents knowing yeah, what and, we're telling those kids? That's yeah, basically so, what that means. And, and he says it could be, you know, conservative parents or parents from the left who are both wrong. But, you know, we one thing we do know, how much do we want those parents, you know, this, this, <laughs> getting in between? Viral, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, people were appalled by this. Teachers were chiming in. Some teachers were saying, you know, you shouldn't, my students shouldn't know my politics. Uh, I, you know, if I'm confident in what I'm saying, I should be okay with their parents hearing what I'm telling them. I don't have, you know, um, a monopoly on what their children are learning. So, uh, you know, th this should be an interaction with parents, the yeah. teacher and the students. So this should be an open. And he also said somewhere in the, here, the, another crazy quote here was, look, um, uh, da, 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 he, how many, it was a rhetorical question, how many of us teachers he's referring to have installed some version of, quote, what happens here stays here to help this? So meaning a pact like, with students not to tell their parents? Yeah, tell your parents what, what's going on in class. Uh, come on, the classroom isn't Vegas. This is your, your someone else's child's uh, minds yeah, that you're shaping here. Yeah. The parent needs to be involved in this. And so many people pushed back. But there were, there were also some other teachers who were saying, yeah, yeah, I see this as a concern too. I'm actually not going to do, I don't want to do verbal lectures. I want to do uh, just all written material and written stuff so that parents will be less likely to hear what's going on. And so there was yeah. tons of pushback. Matt, Matt Walsh uh, did a did a pretty uh, interesting episode and piece in the Daily Wire on this, and his um, his main piece, his headline is: Teachers openly fret that parents might hear them brainwashing children, uh, call parents "quote unquote" dangerous. Say, there's other teachers jumping in saying parents are dangerous, for example. And Matt Matt says this is why I homeschool. Yeah, uh -oh, I mean, I have a I have a little bit of uh, sometimes sympathy when teachers. Well, you know, I have friends who are teachers. They'll blow off steam and they'll kind of say, "Oh, you know, that these parents are hassling me." And you, I'm sure there are unreasonable parents, right? That would have to be true, just like any population of humans. And you're and you're and you're there, and you probably have to put up with. So there's a certain degree of sympathy I have, depending on the kind of nature. Of the, these comments, though, were pretty far. They went pretty far in the down that road. It didn't seem just like blowing off steam. It seemed like you know, hey, do we want them knowing what we say? That was that was. Uh, yeah, I mean that, that's and look, if you want to, if you want to, you know, have conversations about 
whatever, you know, in, in, in the school. I mean, the, the parents need to need to be okay with those conversations. And it's, it's one thing to talk about race in the classroom or any other issue such as that, that he was listing off, but parents may have an, may not even have an issue about that. They just might want a more balanced approach where you're talking about yeah. both sides. And, and, you know, if, if, if he's saying it in a particular way in the class that parents are not okay with, maybe, maybe he's not teaching it in the right way. And so, uh, you know, it, if he'd have said something like, if he'd have tweeted something like, boy, I got some parents who are just bugging the hell out of me lately and being so unreasonable, he could have tweeted something like that. I'm sure some parents would have gotten mad. I wouldn't have. I would have seen that as yeah. like, oh, he's blowing off steam. Mm -hmm. It's this the way it was worded of like, you know, do we want them knowing what goes on here? It was like, it was just, anyway, so I said it. Yeah, so um, you, you had shared a video from, News, well, speaking of indoctrination, this is a big, a big story for my state. Wow. A principal in New Jersey apologizing. Why? Well, you'll find out. I'll find out, too, because I haven't seen it yet. OK. Well, about a week ago, a school principal in New Jersey sent an email to parents at the school apologizing for a photograph that appeared in the school's yearbook. The picture was taken in October. What was the picture? Well, it wasn't of the Virginia governor. The kids weren't posing in blackface or wearing Klan robes. No, they were carrying an American flag with a blue stripe on it, a Blue Lives Matter flag. It honors police officers killed in the line of duty. The cops were at the school for the D.A.R.E. program, which keeps kids off drugs. Most wholesome scenario you can imagine. But the image horrified the principal of the school, William Myron. He wrote that the picture was, quote, understandably appalling. And then he continued with woke speak befitting a corporate HR department. Quote, the need for growth is apparent. I wish we had realized in October any of the negative associations with the picture. We should have known. I personally can only apologize that I did not. Some parents were confused by this. One of them, a father named Brian Michelle, responded this way, writing, as a parent, a Milburn resident and an American, I found your letter to be not only condescending and offensive, but also spurious, misguided, and ironically intolerant of anyone holding views which do not conform to the currently prescribed and carefully constructed language of wokeness. That parent, Brian Nichelle, joins us tonight. Brian, thanks so much for coming on. So I just want to be clear to the audience. Sometimes you have guests on and nobody knows the backstory. You are not a political activist. You're not apparently a very political person. You don't have some complex political agenda. You're just a parent with kids in the school and you were confused by what the principal said, and I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, no, Tucker, that's right. And, um, you know, I actually wasn't really confused. I knew exactly what was happening. Um, yeah. You know, I follow the news. I see what's happening with cancel culture, and I see what's happening to anyone who speaks out and dares to veer off of the uh, carefully constructed script that, you know, businesses and uh, politicians are meant to uh, convey when they're speaking about these things. Uh, but what really seemed appalling to me, actually, uh, much more so than a photograph of football players holding an American flag and a thin blue line flag. What was truly appalling was the fact that it seemed that Dr. Myron, Myron was reacting without even thinking about the kids. He goes on to say that if you thought about the kids, you're basically telling the kids they were doing something racist. He used the words racist. It's a pro-police demonstration, a pro-police flag, and he is telling the town that the kids did something racist by holding this pro-police flag. And so, you know, he's what this parent is saying is like, well, why didn't you think about maybe this could affect the kids too? Like, yeah. when you just say stuff like this? But anyway, yeah, we, you know, we brought up the concept of indoctrination and there it is. I mean, you know, we can have debates on defund the police or not, or partially defund or move money to social workers instead, something like that. But to just say a pro-police demonstration is racist, which <laughs> to me, that's like, this is a traditional public school. Kids are assigned there. They have no, you know, in a town like Milburn, New Jersey, there's no, there's no private school choice program option. There's no charter school option. Your parents may be able to afford private school tuition, I suppose. But, uh, but apart from that, this is a compulsively assigned school and a place where the principal is telling the parents and the kids that supporting the police is racism. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the main point here is that could have negative consequences for the children who, who attend his school that were 
you know, is yeah, supporting the police as well. It could paint them as racist, which is problematic, obviously. And it's not really the, you know, the, the position, it's not really the place for the, the principal to be coming out and, and saying these things uh, on the matter. And, and I, and I've come out pretty strongly on social media in, in thinking that a lot of police uh, are not accountable to the public, uh, similar to uh, the public school system in, in, a, in some way that there's a geographic monopoly. But, you know, that you, you can be, you can, you can, you can still support the police and, and not, you know, not be racist and 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 no. It would so be one I mean, thing if he, on his own time, this principal had a position about the police that he's calling someone else's action racist. Yeah, yeah. By the way, that being children. So like that's a far. That's not just something about he took a position that we disagree with or that maybe he shouldn't because of his role in the community. Uh, you know, he, this is him calling out kids anyway. So you guys get that. Let's move on. We're, we're, yeah. we're at an hour yeah. in. So we're yeah. trying to speed up. Now here's this thing about, you know, we keep talking about this idea that all virtual education isn't the same. And what do we find out here that New York city, wow, that's the biggest school district in the country. They must've done it. Right. Huh, yeah. Corey, don't you think? I mean, yeah. the biggest school district that we're not talking about Timbuktu school district. This is these people. They have thousands and thousands of experts walking around, and consultants, and all kinds of money. So, New York City's virtual summer school—they, they, you know—they had online learning in the uh, spring when coronavirus first kind of came out in March, and they sent the kids home. This was their attempt to say, "But now this is going to be summer school. We're going to now really do it right. We're going to have this new program." Uh, they had a name for it, everything and everything. What was the name they called this thing? Uh, they had the uh, let's see. Um, unprecedented learning. It's called iLearn. Okay, sorry about that, folks. Uh, a, a centralized online platform called iLearn contained pre-packaged digital lessons. Uh, it began requiring educators to actually conduct live meetings with students. Wow, that seems onerous. Uh, that was different from the spring when they didn't require that. Uh, but summer school, this says, was hobbled from the start and never bounced back. By the final week of the program, 23%, basically a quarter, who were required or recommended to attend never even logged in once. So that's that's a quarter of Dang them it. not even logging in once. How many logged in once or twice and never again? You know, well, that's kind of if if twenty three percent never did at all. Gee, it's a probably a pretty big number didn't regularly log in. And and so it says the rollout raises questions about the city's ability to support a quality online learning experience as officials prepare for another year dominated by remote instruction. And again, it shows how when a big traditional district who's going to get the money anyway and doesn't need to compete for students, just, uh, you know, hey, hey yeah. you guys do online learning. Oh, come, maybe we'll kind of try it. Oh, it didn't work too well. Or or they no one really confirmed the software was properly working. And then it all kind of blows up and doesn't even work. You know, actual online charter schools who go out of business if parents don't pick them on a regular basis or online private schools where you can pay for your kid to log in and have an education with a live, real life teacher, those kind of schools, they don't have this blase attitude. So, uh, yeah, and, and you can, can compare that with the results that came out from the Education Next survey that just came out a few weeks ago, finding that private and charter schools were over twice as likely to provide online instruction to their students uh, on a daily basis. That relative to the traditional public school. So you're right, the incentive structure is completely different. And that doesn't mean that the charters and the privates all got it perfectly done right either. But it, the not. data suggests that they did a better job. Um, and I think it's because they have a stronger incentive to do so. And then an, another poll that, that uh, another national survey that came out from Common Sense Media a couple months ago similarly found that the private schools were over twice as likely to provide virtual education to their students each day relative to the public schools. Um, so so we're seeing consistently over time. I became involved in in the in what had been the largest online school in Ohio called ECOT, E-C-O-T, Electronic Classroom of Tomorrow was the acronym. Uh, they basically closed the entire school down. Why did they do that? Because this school couldn't prove that the kids were logging in for enough hours to justify uh, the tuition payment the state of Ohio was giving the ECOT school. So they basically shut it down. They said, you, your kids are not, yes, they've enrolled, 
but they're not logged in for enough hours to be considered really enrolled. And therefore, we're pulling all that funding back away from you because your kids did not log in long enough. Well, the New York City just did this summer program. A quarter of the kids don't even log in at all. You think someone's going to pull the money back from nah. New York City public school, which is exactly the, the, the traditional edu the education establishment. Even the, the press in Ohio went crazy yeah, about Bob, this ECOT school, money. ripping off the taxpayer, ripping off the taxpayer. These kids are not logged in. Damn it. Get that money back from Bob, that baby. ECOT school. And it made them go out of business. Now this exact same thing happens in New York City. And there's going to be no money pulled back, please. They need no. more money, Bob. More. They yeah, need more, more money. money. Hey, I know they're doing it virtually, and there's less, there's less pure fixed costs associated with that. But look, only 23% of kids even logged, or 23% never logged on. So we need to spend more money to incentivize them yeah, to exactly. log on. More money, right. <laughs> so anyway, seeing all this, you know, we were uh, – uh, Again, Phil, I've just been I've been having this idea for months now, this idea about how, you know, all online education isn't the same and how these other schools have gotten really good at it. They've done it for years and years and years. And schools like K-12, schools like Connections Academy, schools like Florida Virtual School, uh, Google any of those. Believe me, they've done it for years. They have they, they in, student engagement is a very big deal with those schools. They don't take it lightly like this New York City story. It's an enormous different, enormously different thing when traditional public schools say, oh, COVID-19 happened. Well, uh, teachers, if you want, you can have a few Zoom sessions with your kid. I guess. Maybe try it. You know, half of them don't log in. Uh, what, parents walk away thinking online education is what I just experienced with the traditional district school. So we wanted to make a little video about that. And here it is. Online education is not the same. Any questions? Any questions? That's it. Came from the old your brain on drugs uh, ad. You know, your, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Um. All right. So you you, you want to wrap? It's six oh eight. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we're we're over, and we we still have. Should we hit the last story? Go ahead. It? Go ahead. This is we're giving you a bonus story, everybody. I haven't read this yet, but hearing set in Florida school reopening lawsuit. So we heard a couple, what, months ago or a month ago or maybe a few weeks ago that the teachers unions were filing a lawsuit against uh, the, either the commissioner or governor of Florida for um, calling to reopen schools. And now there's a hearing actually set in Florida to hear this lawsuit. Yeah, the governor yeah, of Florida DeSantis saying that all school districts need to offer parents the choice of either in-person instruction or online instruction. And the teachers union says, oh my gosh, so this is terrible. And that's actually the quote I wanted to go to. You and I would, great minds think alike. This is my favorite quote of the story in Florida. Teachers fearing for their lives have rushed resignations and retirements. And again, I know, I think I said this last week, Corey, but I just want someone to go up to be like, hey, uh, teacher, fearing for your life. So you mm -hmm. have to, you can't actually go to school, right? With kids and do your job. By the way, uh, did you eat today? Oh, where'd you get the food? Oh, the supermarket? You went to the supermarket? Oh, yeah. Have you been to the drugstore this week? Oh, you did go to the drugstore. Huh. Uh, how many hundred people you figure were in the supermarket that you went to to buy the food that you've eaten for the last three months? Oh, hundreds and hundreds of people go every day to the supermarket? And you do too? Oh, it's okay. Oh, yeah. But you're terrified. Terrified to be in just a room with the same set of 25 or 30 kids. That is uh, that is in fear for your life. But these other people... They hey, have to work, you know. Hey, man, some some people may actually be fearful, and, and if they are, that's that's fine with me. But you don't get my money, you know. If a grocery store worker is is fearful yeah. for their life, they don't 
they don't get to keep getting my grocery store bill each week. Should same uh, should be the same way with the school system, and I wouldn't have any problem with 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 you know the protests that they're doing, the strikes that that are being threatened. Doesn't matter. But let me take my child's education dollars elsewhere. Hey Bob, I know we're way over, but can I share the the, the video that came out from Trump supporting school choice just today? Let's do it. I would like the money to follow the student, and this way you can make your own choice. And here's another. I'd rather give it to the student, the parents. You know, why are we paying? If a school is closed, why are we paying the school? He's listening to us, Bob. He's been on no, our he, Clearly, he's a fan of podcast. Well, he's retweeted you. But uh, I would just say that's a, that's a typical Corey thing, everybody, just to, to the to the viewers and listeners. Like, just so Corey won't hear. But, like, look at him. He does a five-second clip and an eight-second clip. Like, that. He's, he's, you know, those little quick little clips. We at Choice Media, we always want – yeah, he's he's killing us in the algorithm. At Choice Media, we always want these nice, long in context. You're like, oh, we want full context. Give them a two minute. Hey, you clip. put that app. You follow up with the with that one. You give them the full the All full right. video after. But All yeah, right. I mean, I posted this right when we started. It's already twelve hundred likes. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we got a couple thousand uh, views on our Kamala Harris truancy video we posted today. So check that out, everybody. But. He is Dr. DeAngelis. He is Corey DeAngelis, the Twitter juggernaut, everybody. Look at that. You can follow him on Twitter, at DeAngelis Corey. You can follow me, at Bob Bowden. Uh, all O's, no E's. All O's in Bob Bowden. Um, and please like. Help us with the algorithms, folks. If you've been watching the video, please hit like. Please hit subscribe. Please add a comment. And if, on a same, if you're listening, please give us a little review on our, on our uh, podcast. So we thank you very much for